Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. to Administrative Static, Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you. Uh, as I started to say, as always, John, but uh, you were on vacation last week. Good I, to have you back. I was. I fell down the Fort Admiral. <laughs> so you think. Well, <laughs> our audience may have a different view of that. But uh, in any event, uh, John and I are delighted uh, to be joined by a special guest for our opening uh, segment today. Uh, Eric Dryband is a partner at the Jones Day Law Firm here in Washington, D.C., and more importantly for, for our purposes today, was the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights in the last uh, administration. Uh, Eric, welcome to Administrative Static. Well, thank you, Mark, and thank you, John. Well, we're glad to have you. And, and one of the reasons that we wanted to, uh, to talk to, to Eric, uh, as those who follow the program know, uh, NCLA has been very involved in litigation around uh, COVID-19 going back to uh, the nationwide eviction moratorium lawsuit, a lot of vaccine lawsuits, uh, and and a lot of that happened. Or at least the uh, vaccine part of that happened after you left government, Eric. But the uh, and after your administration uh, left left government, uh, but you did see uh, some civil rights violations happen uh, in the early days of the pandemic. So this would have been roughly March of 2020 through January of 2021, I suppose. That's correct. And. And how did the department first hear about some of the civil rights problems that were were going on? And what was your response? And to the extent you could talk about it, what were some of the internal discussions about whether you should or shouldn't get involved in in different kinds of cases? What kind of cases were you seeing? Well, when when the pandemic hit um, and the lockdown started, um, we immediately became concerned uh, about uh, the possibility of a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. Uh, the Department of Justice enforces federal hate crime uh, criminal uh, laws uh, and takes those, those responsibilities very seriously. So we immediately issued a statement in which we notified the public that we would have a no tolerance uh, position on any kind of hate motivated violence against Asian Americans or other Asian individuals who are in the country in response to the pandemic, which um, started in China and then migrated to the United States. Did you ever have to bring any litigation uh, or enforcement actions around around that? Uh, not to enforce the warning, but it, did, did it end up, uh, did that end up taking a lot of the department's time? Well, we, we worked a lot with state and local law enforcement on that issue. Um, and no, it did not take a lot of our time, fortunately. We, we did uh, set a record for the number of hate crime prosecutions and we did investigate and appropriately prosecute uh, hate crimes against in, anyone, uh, any victim of any who's targeted hate motivated violence under our statutes. But no, that we did not see uh, at the Department of Justice um, a wave of anti Asian hate crimes that were prosecuted at the federal level, but at the state level, uh, there were, yes. And we cooperated and aided local law enforcement in those. What else, what else were you seeing? Uh, 
I mean, my memories, and, and it's, it's a little fuzzy now, but my memory is that it seemed like religious liberties were one of the first things that, that, that was, uh, that fell victim to some of the, the lockdowns. I, I remember uh, Easter happened very quickly after, after the lockdowns happened, and uh, my church was closed for Easter. I think, I think churches all across the country were closed for Easter, which was pretty jaw-dropping from, you know, from my perspective as a, as someone for, for, at least in my religion, that's the most important day of the year. So it was, it was shocking to have, have my church closed. Yeah. We, yeah. We did see, um, and we did aggressively oppose efforts uh, to discriminate against the free exercise of religion by state and local governments that happened too frequently during the pandemic in 2020, even into 2021, before I left the Department of Justice. Um, we would see, for example, uh, limitations on the number of people who could be in a house of worship limited to one or two persons, no matter how big the house of worship was, whereas there were no limits on uh, other um, analogous uh, establishments like marijuana dispensaries could be open and for business with no restrictions at all. And we determined that that kind of discrimination against the exercise of religion. Casinos too, I seem to recall, were, were right? Casinos. Oh yeah, were there were all kinds of things. The like that. Yes, they're, 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 in fairness to our our friends in state and local government, they had a very difficult job to do to deal with, you know, something that that had not happened in our country for a, a century really, and they were trying to manage uh, what they regarded as a public health crisis. On the other hand, uh, it was important to Attorney General William Barr and to myself and to the leadership of the Department of Justice at the time uh, that religious liberty and the other uh, freedoms we enjoy as Americans uh, not be unduly restricted or infringed. And what we saw was that there were on, on occasion exercise of executive power by state and local governments, including you know, various kinds of people who have roles like the health commissioner of a county or things like that, who would issue these dictates uh, without any regard for the effect that they would have on religious liberty. Uh, we would see situations when law enforcement would be called out to go arrest people at a house of worship that we thought made no sense at all and violated the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Uh, and so uh, the Attorney General, William Barr, uh, tasked myself and uh, the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan to lead a Department of Justice task force uh, to address civil liberties issues and violations that we saw occurring uh, during the pandemic. And that's what we did. So the other thing I remember happening uh, with some frequency during the, the, you know, under Attorney General Barr is that the department was intervening in some of these litigations. Uh, and uh, was that in an amicus capacity uh, against some of these uh, state and local uh, violations of civil liberties or, or were you actually bringing cases uh, from the department? Well, we did both. We, we, did all, we did a whole panoply of things that the department can do. Uh, we investigated allegations of unlawful conduct. We brought appropriate uh, enforcement actions. Uh, and we also uh, joined in support of pending lawsuits um, by filing what's called a statement of interest. The attorney general has authority uh, under a particular statute to file um, a statement of interest, which is similar to, but not identical to a friend of the court brief or an amicus brief. Uh, we were very aggressive in filing those, uh, typically in, in federal district courts uh, around the country, um, to uh, support claims and express to federal judges the Justice Department's views that what, what was being alleged, what was happening, or uh, uh, violated whatever civil right might be at issue 
be it the freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, uh, the right to travel uh, throughout the United States, things of that nature, and that we challenge. We also uh, brought similar claims in the U.S. Courts of Appeals throughout the country uh, as friend of the court briefs, uh, amicus briefs at that level, and um, and then in the Supreme Court of the United States worked with the Solicitor General on various cases. You, you anticipated my next question, which was uh, the freedom of travel. There were there were a number of states that were, and for some reason they were clustered in the Northeast, maybe because uh, New York City was so badly affected early on in the in the pandemic. But I remember different stories about either uh, Rhode Island, I think it was, or or it was John, Rhode Island. You're, you're, you're from it was that Rhode part Island. Of, yeah, of the they said they Rhode Island didn't want any New Yorkers coming there. You had they were gonna they were gonna block them all. Right. They were gonna. And you had to report that you. Or a New Yorker coming into the state so they could monitor you. Can, yeah. we, can we have that law today? That New Yorkers <laughs> have to report if they come into my state? No. <laughs> the Floridians yeah. would do nothing else. <laughs> we, we, did see, uh, we did see what we regarded as uh, excessive restriction on, the, on our right to travel as Americans, and we did challenge that where appropriate, including I remember one particular case out of the Northeast, out of Maine, a case come to mind that I recall off the top of my head, but there were others as well. Uh, and in our position was the privileges or immunities clause of the Constitution protects our right to travel. Uh, and, and, and I should add, too, that, you know, while it is true that state and local governments do have, uh, and the Supreme Court has recognized, they have very broad latitude to address public health emergencies. The, the police power, they, they yeah, call it. Yeah, the general police power to deal with an emergency. Which the federal government does not have general police power. The federal government does not. But right. State and local governments do. Sure. Uh, and but on the other hand, that does not authorize state and local governments to violate, for example, the First Amendment right to the free exercise of religion or freedom of speech or the right to travel. Uh, and there, or the Second Amendment. I think there were some cases, and I don't know if DOJ got involved in these, but some gun, I seem to remember some gun shops. Colorado, owners, yep. Uh, in Colorado and California, they closed open. gun shops, um, but not other similar shops right in the same mall. Right. 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 See that that there's a there was an element of arbitrary conduct and arbitrary orders that happened uh, during during 2020 in particular uh, that we found troubling and that we aggressively opposed. I mean, certainly, as I say, they have very broad authorities. They being governors, mayors, city councils, etc., to address public health crisis, but they do not have the authority to infringe upon. The Bill of Rights, or and, and we concluded that we've read the Constitution, we've read our civil rights laws. There's no pandemic exception to any of them, and uh, and while we tried to be respectful and careful about our evaluation of what, what was happening, uh, we did become concerned and we did intervene both through investigations, litigation, and as I say, statements of interest in front of the courts in many many cases throughout the United States during the, in 2020 and, and until I left, which was in January 2021. Was there anything happening behind the scenes? And I'm not asking you to violate attorney-client privilege or, or you know, d divulge anything that you can't divulge, but were there ever cases where you saw something really egregious happen and you just picked up the phone and said, uh, hey guys, I, I don't know what you're thinking over there, but this, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get uh, more phone calls if you're serious about doing this. And, and did, you, did you ever see anybody sort of back off or, or have second thoughts? Yes, there, there, were, there were, actually, there were, that, that's an excellent question. There were many occasions in which uh, a, a governor or a mayor uh, would issue some order. And I think they would do it because uh, they weren't thinking about the effects of the order in, in terms of things like the right to um, freedom of speech or free exercise of religion or things like that. So there were times when instead of, you know, 
you know, filing an enforcement action, we would send a letter or we even have private uh, oral conversations with the law firm. That's a lot of people have to leave it there. I Static, and uh, I we've been discussing uh, on this program uh, a, a bit the uh, Supreme Court's ruling in, e in West Virginia versus EPA and the major questions doctrine. And as part of that discussion, we often say that uh, the SEC will be targeted eventually if it has uh, it does these um, environmental. Uh, it's, it's ESG, environmental, social, and governance uh, monitoring that companies have to do. And the SEC issues guidance and rules on what you actually, they, they expect you to do as far as informing investors about, about risks to you from the environment. The one that's, the one that's uh, come up, but has not been issued yet. Nothing has happened. The, the, the um, SEC has said, we're looking into... This is just a coming attraction. It's a coming attraction. No <laughs> one expects anything until December, even a vote on it. And uh, so there's nothing NCLA can do right now. If, if we were to bring a case, the court would say, go away, son, you bother me. There's, there's no action. It's not right. There's not right. There's, no, there's nothing you can do. So obviously no one's being hurt right now. No, you're wrong. And uh, what prompts me to say that is this uh, article in the National Law Journal um, that's, in, that's uh, Dan Rowe, and it's entitled, Thanks to the SEC, Law Firms See Increasing Business in ESG. Now, it's the National Law Journal, so they put a, a happy spin on that. But, <laughs> but as oftentimes, <laughs> what, right. what's good for attorneys- Border revenue and, might be going yeah, up. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So th this is a law journal for those of you who don't look at it. When, whenever the big firms are, are making lots more money and the per partner um, uh, uh, payouts are going up, that's good news. Now, obviously, if you're a CEO paying those, or if you're a person paying those, maybe maybe you have a different perspective. But this isn't exactly what's good for General Motors. It's it, good for exactly. America. Exactly, but it is it is a great publication for uh, information and news you don't see anywhere else. That I, I rely on it greatly. But I did want to I did want to warn our our listeners that perhaps its perspective might be a little different from theirs. But in this one, I think it's absolutely correct um, because. Uh, Here's here's the here's the the takeaway was that ESG and corporate governance lawyers are in high demand as corporate America holds its breath on proposed SEC climate risk disclosures. Corporate opposition is broad based. That's true. I mean, the corporations are putting in um, uh, comments to the rule saying, "Look, this is going to be hugely expensive. It's not going to tell investors anything that's that's they need to know." And in fact, these future um, uh, how, what, what's happening on global warming and emissions in the future is highly speculative. So it's hard for, it's basically a trap for them because if they lie about it or they're wrong about it, they can get sued. Um, 
And, and what I mean about lies, that they may tell what they think is the truth, but it doesn't turn out that way. And then suddenly you have a lawsuit. So, um, and that's a small public companies are particularly burdened by rising compliance costs, said one practice leader courting their business. So what's happening here is that the administrative state without issuing a regulation by proposing a regulation is shifting millions of dollars of investment money into the law firms, into the compliance costs before anything has happened. Away from making widgets. Away from making widgets. And what, so, and this article goes on, it talks about, it, it, it quotes various lawyers in town. Um, and they say clients are very concerned about the proliferation of alternative ESG standards because numerous entities already issue their own standards without much collaboration. It's really difficult for clients to sort this out on their own. So they're increasingly looking to law firms, not simply to bring legal talent to the table, but also to have a Rolodex of the right consultants to bring to the table on behalf of clients as well. Now, that's all that's all things that are being done that are not producing anything economically and no regulation has been issued. And but the, they have to be prepared because once that if, if it does become a regulation um, and it looks like it will, the article says, and I agree that there'll be a three two vote in the SEC and it will pass and the uh, plaintiff's lawyers will have a new target to go after companies if they uh, if, if the environmental or the uh, emissions um, guess was wrong. This reminds me of a topic uh, you talked about on this show maybe about a year ago, John, about uh, so will there be an exodus of SEC attorneys into these firms once this rule comes out in order to uh, take advantage of their knowledge about what went into the passage of the rule and oh, so forth? It would be crazy if it didn't. It would be crazy if they didn't. Of course, yeah. they're going to go back and say, oh, I, I don't I can fix this problem that I made for you. Yeah. Um, the self-interest here is breathtaking. Yeah. And and uh, they quote Christian Knopf. Uh, lawyer in town. The, the present feels like a watership, watershed moment in, in the prominence of ESG, she said. It's also a time of uncommon law firm and in-house lateral movement in her practice. That goes to what you're saying. So so basically, people are, are shuffling around right now and, and finding the right roles where they, where they want to be when this comes out. And it does, let's talk about the small firms a little bit. And, and people who never claimed uh, prominence or uh, or expertise in this area before are now exactly. are now claiming newfound expertise. I know exactly what you have to say about admissions. <laughs> Although the SEC exempts smaller reporting companies, those with a public float under $250 million or less than $100 million in annual revenue and a public float under $700 million. And that's the amount of capital that they uh, yeah. shares and stuff. ESG lawyers said in the reporting process will be particularly costly for small public companies that fall outside the exemption and don't have the same ESG infrastructure as a large public corporations. So there's just tons of these smaller firms. And this is why we always say that regulation is often supported by the big firms because it's it's crushing the competition. Raises rivals. Exactly. Costs. And so these these competitors, they may, may be making the big, bigger, cheaper widget, but this this. They, they aren't, they Not don't, anymore. yeah, they don't have the bigger uh, consultant lawyer class working for them. And so now they're, they're out of luck. Um, and so, and, and, um, and here's a, another statement that I learned from the article of uh, another, uh, was that uh, this is a, a quote from a, a local, uh, once again, a K Street guy. 
something like 80 percent well and just for those who aren't in the uh, aren't in the beltway john uh that's true k street is the street in washington dc where most of the law firms and lobbying shops have their offices so when you hear people talk about k street or the k street corridor they're talking about law firms and lobbyists yes it's 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 the Hollywood of, uh, of bureaucrat lawyers. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. something like, uh, and we're not far from it. I mean, you and I, no, 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 we're, right. something like we're 80, between M and N street, <laughs> <laughs> something like 80% of public co companies have market caps, less than 480 million. Most public companies are not huge. They don't have the resources to hire a director of sustainability, a director of DEI, a director of ESG. If you're a modestly sized public company, who are you going to turn to to find those resources? We want to be the place the people turn to, uh, says Alan Annex. So what's going on here, I think, is really fascinating in this article, because what you're seeing is the mere proposal of the regulation is now all around us shifting resources from other parts of the country to Washington, D.C., Two law firms who deal with this in other places, in other cities. I mean, we don't have such a huge concentration elsewhere, but they're there. And also changing the structure of the corporations. Even the big corporations are going to have to ramp up and and yeah, add someone to the C-suite who has responsibility over this area of compliance or exactly. something like that. And 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 Exxon or or whatever oil companies. The reason they're up in arms is because you have to figure out the supply chain uh, uh, emissions. And what they say, which I think is pretty fair, I've always thought this, if I was running an oil company, and I was sued for the emissions, I would say, hey, look, I'm only responsible for these emissions. I'm going to implead everyone who ever drove a car, everybody who used my product, because they're the ones burning it and putting it all up in the air. I didn't do that. I gave it to them. I didn't care what they did with it. Once they bought my gasoline or my oil, I don't care. Well, and by the way, if I sell you a gallon of gasoline, the amount of emissions it puts in the air depends entirely upon what kind of car you have. I mean, are you are you driving an old an old uh, beater that's uh, you know that, that all right. the emissions equipment is worn out on or something brand new? Exactly, and, and they don't have any control over that. They don't. In fact, let's say let's do an ESG thing. Uh, how much is um, how much uh, CO two is this going to put out? You know, this this amount of oil. Well, nobody could. Imagine that people would keep cars as long as we're keeping them now because they've gotten so expensive. Ten years ago, if I was trying to make a decision, I would say that cars were kept for five or six years, and now they're being kept for ten to twelve. Yeah, my that's twenty years old. My calculations would be off, and um, and that's where you keep your BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's right on the table right now. <laughs> exactly. So in any event, um, but um, I, I think that it, that is a good an example we we couldn't know now could someone be sued on that under ESG yeah I think that a I think that a um you could make the case oh they should have known they should have known this was going to happen as you know uh more electronics were put in cars whatever the reason is you know um and I, I I just think that it's such a great example of what the administrative state can do with no congressional input at all congress is nowhere around to sort of weigh these problems and weigh, look, how much, how much CO2 do we want out? How much reporting do we need for these companies? Um, should, sh how much a percentage of their budget should be devoted to this? Um, and, and can, and, and is there any safe Harbor? Well, how do they get a safe Harbor that they're not sued or the SEC doesn't come after them? What exactly do they have to do? 
right now, you don't really know. Um, I'm sure they're going to want to make a few examples of people as soon as it comes through, right? They always do. Exactly. So I, I do think that um, this is encapsulates huge, you know, almost perfectly the problems with the administrative state of uncertainty and of uh, political um, accountability. And will this change depending on the election outcome in November? Uh, I don't believe so. No, you can't stop it that way. Now that they, they might call people in, I mean, I'm sure the Texas and West Virginia <laughs> congressmen and stuff will come in and well, is you know, and scream and yell, but what are they going to do? Are they going to change the law over? No, they're not. And they I don't, they can't stop a regulation from being issued. It's correct. And once it comes in, I'd be very surprised if it, if we ever got rid of it. So anyway, this is, I, I recommend the article. Uh, thanks to the SSD law firms to increasing business in ESG. And we'll be back in a moment.